in Houston. Uh, my parents uh, were from Mexico, in case you're wondering. Uh, before somebody says, do you have an accent? No, you have an accent. It's not me, it's you. Right. Uh, we're raised in a, in, a, in a Spanish, is it not on? Okay, there it is. All right. Uh, we were uh, raised in a, in a Spanish-speaking church, so I got saved praying in Spanish. How about that? So I had the gift of tongues. If you want to know about that, come and speak to me later. When I was, uh, when I was around 17, the Lord uh, spoke to me and called me to, to serve Him full-time, though it didn't become real until I was 30. And the Spanish assemblies uh, committed me to the Lord's work in Houston. And so I was part of Spanish assemblies all my life. And when I was around um, probably 20, I started going out and visiting some of the English-speaking assemblies. And so that was a whole new venture for me. I've been married 30 years, have three children, two grandchildren. I'm very blessed and I'm very grateful uh, for what God has done in my life. And uh, praise God for that. Okay, let's go to James. Let's go to James. Chapter 1. You want to know more? You can ask me later. James chapter 1. Well, I remember 31 years ago, my wife and I were going to get married, so we're sitting with a counselor, and he's giving us the advice and all that, right, about marriage. And he said, there's going to be a lot of trials coming in the future, and you need to be prepared for them. Of course, at the time, you, know, you might have some arguments, and you need to know how to fix it and all that. And like, my wife and I aren't going to argue, right? Yeah. All right. That, yeah, uh, okay, I came to understand that that wasn't true, uh, and so, and then he said that there's going to be trials coming in life, and, and serious things coming in life, and I thought, well, how serious can the trials be, right? Like, you're young and dumb and in love, and you don't, you know, it didn't seem real, what he was saying to me, but uh, 30 years after, like, wow, or 31, that is, he wasn't wrong in anything he said, but I just took it so lightly as if it wasn't a big deal. Right, so let's look at this text, and we're going to look at today the purpose of trials. You got to know why things happen, right? The purpose of trials. So let's read James chapter 1, verse 2, and we'll go to verse 12. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives all men generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith without doubting, for the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For let not man expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. But let the brother of humble circumstances Glory in his high position, and let the rich man glory in his humiliation, because like the flowering grass he will pass away. For the sun rises with a scorching wind, and withers and uh, and withers the grass, and its flowers fall off, and the beauty of its appearance is destroyed. So too the rich man in the midst of his pursuits will fade away. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial. For once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Amen. Amen. 
Well, James shows that when faith is but an empty profession or, or a mere sentiment, uh, that it's not based on firm convictions of divine truth, the fire of trouble will burn it up. And so, for some reason, in my own personal life, up to when I was around 20 years of married, we really didn't have like devastating trials, if you will. But it seemed like after that, wow, they came heavy and hard. Heavy and hard. And this is what I discovered. I would constantly preach to people, you need to have faith, you need to trust God. But when the trials came, and they were strong, and they were hard, and I didn't know what to do, I discovered that my faith was this deep. Because I, the Lord started squeezing me and testing me, wanting to take me to another level of walk with Him. And so, I, I was like crying and complaining and, and just upset. And what are you doing, God? And just disappointed. And since then, the Lord has, has taught me a lot. And so, let's look then at the purpose of trust. For those of you who take notes, there, this I got this outline from John MacArthur. It really blessed me. So, I'm going to share these eight reasons uh, for trials, the, the purpose of trials. You need to know what, what the things are for, right? Uh, I was watching a Cowboys and Indians movie. You, you like Cowboys and Indians movies? My favorite since I was little, right? So there was this one particular one where they had this Gatlin gun, which is in, uh, like a machine gun of the day. And there was this little clip that goes in, which allows the, the bullets to go through to make it work. Without it, it wasn't working, right? And so... Here comes the Indians, sure enough, and they're trying to get away from the Indians, and, and they lost the clip. And so they couldn't get that, that machine gun thing to work, the Gatlin gun. And so the whole thing is that they're trying to get away from the Indians while, while some guy tries to construct the little clip that would allow the gun to work so they can be saved. Right? And so finally, they discovered there was a traitor amongst them. Somebody had the clip. They got the clip, put it in, and they were saved from the Indians. Right? Okay. So... What was the purpose of that clip? To allow the Gatling gun to work. And if you didn't have it, there's something missing. You didn't know the purpose or the reason for it. Right? And so, many times in life, things happen, and we don't know the why of it. And if you don't know the why, you're in trouble. So, I didn't know the why, even though I'd been a Christian for so long. That's the amazing part. So, I don't know what's going on in your life, what God is doing, what God is allowing, but let's talk about it. What are the purposes of trials? All right, number one, probably obvious, but here we go. Uh, to test the strength of your faith. To, trust, uh, to test the strength of your faith. A person who becomes resentful, bitter, and self-pitying when troubles come plainly exposes weak faith. All right, let me say that again. When you become resentful, bitter, or self-pitying when troubles come, it exposes weak faith faith. And you know what the Lord showed me? Uh, you, you, you have weak faith. Because that was becoming true in my life because of the circumstances of the trials that happened. Now, at this point, I'm looking back and I say, wow, Lord, that was a blessing because I've grown through it. But at the time, I, I, I wasn't so much bitter, but, but I was self-pitying. I would just sit there and pout and cry and, Lord, why has this happened to me? I don't deserve it. I, I've been serving you for so long. And it doesn't make sense. And why is this true? That sounds familiar. And so God was just showing me, you don't have any faith. When everything is smooth and easy, yeah, you talk about faith and you preach faith, 
But when things happen, where's your faith? Where's your faith? And so a trial, one of the purposes is so that it's going to expose where you're at in your walk with Christ. All right. Number two, the second reason. Trials humble us. They remind us not to let our trust in the Lord turn into presumption and spiritual self-satisfaction. You see, I was a commended worker and God had blessed uh, our work with the Spanish people. It grew. We saw a lot of people saved. And without realizing it, you get a little bit of, you know, hey, you know, I think I'm kind of important here. You know? And, and, and then we went to another church and tried to help that one grow. And, and the Lord blessed. But suddenly the Lord took all that away. And I lost my identity. And like, well, who am I now that I'm not this person who, who I once was? And I had to really dig deep. And I tell you what, it humbled me so bad. But I needed it. And so then, God was using these trials, these tests in my life to strengthen my faith, to show me that I needed to be strong in faith because I was really weak. And it really humbled me. It really humbled me. And that's what another purpose of the trial. Thirdly, thirdly, God allows us to suffer trials in order to wean us from our dependence on worldly things and self. All right? To, to, to wean us from dependence on worldly things and self. And, uh, amen. You know what? Our assembly looks so much like this one, it cracks me up. Right? We have a lot of kids and, and they scream and cry. But you know what? I've been to many assemblies where there's no noise and that church is dying. So praise God for the noise. Amen? It didn't bother me one inch. Praise God. Praise God. If I don't hear that, I'm going to get nervous. It's like, ooh, this is not good. All right. So, so God allows sufferings and trials to come into our life to break us from ourself, from our self-dependence. And that means that sometimes He'll take away your job. He'll take away your health. He'll break you to where you can't do anything but trust in Him. And I think that's what He's driving at. So, God allows sufferings and trials to break us from worldly things and from ourselves. Uh, trusting too much in the 401ks and all of that uh, type of thing, right? Okay, number four. Trials call us to eternal and heavenly hope. The harder our trials become, the longer they last, the more we want to go to heaven. Amen? Yes or no? And, and I am convinced of this, that when things are easy, we forget about heaven we don't wait for the Lord to return. You know, go ahead, take your time, Lord. Everything's good. You know, more people need to get saved. You know, don't be in a rush. Everything's smooth. But when that goes away, wow. Hurry up, Lord. Why haven't you returned? You know, where are you? Right? So I remember uh, Sam. Sam was a good friend of mine. We grew up together. And he fell in love with Lily. Right? And so he got his eyes on Lily. And suddenly, he didn't want to hang around with us anymore. Right? And like, Sam, what's going on? Uh, no, you know, it's because, uh, you know, I'm in love with Leah. I'm going to get married. And so, uh, about a week before he got married, they, they spoke on the rapture. And we said, hey, Sam, what if the Lord comes right now? Oh, no, no, Lord, don't come yet. I'm going to get married. And, you know, wait till I'm married. And so, the Lord didn't come, obviously, right? And he got married. And so, about 25 years later, I ran into Sam. Hey, Sam, you know, what do you think about the Lord's coming? Like, I don't know why he hasn't come yet. You know, <laughs> hurry up and come, Lord. And so... How, how the trials of life, right, kind of changes your perspective. Without trials, honestly, think about it. We're not that excited about him returning. 
But the trials seem to like kind of make you look up and say, Lord, this life is miserable. You have to have something better for me in heaven, right? And so the trials keep us looking up and waiting for the return of the Lord Jesus. Have you prayed for that? Lord, hurry up and come back. Or is everything too smooth for you? If that is, watch out. Because here they come. You know, they're going to come heavy and hard. Amen? Uh, yeah. All right. At number five, the purpose of a trial is to reveal what you really love. To reveal what you really love. Abraham was willing to sacrifice his son Isaac. And God says, now I know. Now he already knew. But he said that for our purposes. Now I know, Abraham, that you really love me. You love me more than the gift, your son. You love me. And so it reveals what we really love. Number six, it teaches us to value God's blessings. Uh, through trials, we value spiritual things of God, which he has blessed us with abundantly. Salvation, his word, his provision, his strength. And so the stronger the heart of the trial the more we trust Him, the more we look up, the more we appreciate the little things of life. Right? Number seven. Trials develop enduring strength uh, for greater usefulness. Trials develop enduring strength for greater usefulness. As uh, Thomas Manton put it, while all things are quiet and comfortable, we live by sense rather than by faith. But the worth of a soldier is never known in times of peace. Isn't that true? Put a man out to battle and you see which ones are going to chicken out and which ones are truly men of war. And so the trial reveals if, if you're ready for the battles or not and, and shows where you're at. But, but God wants to develop that enduring strength in our lives. Eight. What's the purpose of a trial? Trials enable us to better help others in their trials. Now turn with me quickly to 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and look at verse 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 3. I'll read it quickly. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of all mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our afflictions. Notice, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. There was this uh, young man came to know the Lord in our assembly. He was uh, 17 years old and he trusted Christ. We were so excited because he was saved and he was living for the Lord Jesus. And we lived near the ocean too in Houston. And he went out with his high school to do some experiments in the ocean and he got caught in a riptide. And he drowned. It was pretty tragic. It was pretty tragic, but he knew the Lord. And we had over a thousand people at the funeral. And people heard about Jesus Christ. But here's the thing I want you to understand. That about a year after that, another lady at the assembly lost her child. Here's what I did. I called the, the mother. Her name is Julia. I said, Julia, come here. This lady lost her baby. And I don't know how to minister to you, but God got you through your trial. And I want you to give her a call, and I want you to go meet with her, and I want you to help her get through this trial. And you know, she faithfully called her, and met with her, and prayed with her, and got her through. You see? And that's one of the purposes of trials. My sister had cancer since she was eight, and battled four bouts of cancer. 
And, and, and as a servant of the Lord, you run into people who are sick all the time. And there's one particular lady uh, who had cancer. She was really struggling. Why is God allowing this? Why is this happening? And I said, I, I have the answer. I called up my sister. I said, Diana, this lady has cancer. She's really struggling. She's a great believer, but she can't seem to uh, accept what God is allowing in her life. She was okay, let me talk to her. And my sister on the phone, because she was in Michigan and my sister was in Houston, and they would, she would call her every week and pray with her and get her through, right? Uh, well, the Lord saw fit to call her home after about a year about that cancer. And so my sister would go to the MD Anderson Hospital in Houston and go sit when somebody said or heard the news, I have cancer, she would go and sit next to them and say, let me help you get through this. And you know that she was able to lead many to Christ because of what she had gone through? There's never a wasted trial. In fact, I, I like uh, this statement, trials are divine intrusions. How do you like that one? Trials are divine intrusions. All right. Now, since the trials then are so productive and so essential, it's, it's important that we respond correctly to them. Amen? All right? So let's keep talking about this. Let's keep talking about trials. So we see that there's a purpose behind a trial. It doesn't just happen. It's not like random things just happen to, to come into my life. I believe that God is supernaturally and in His wisdom uh, allowing every trial to come into our life. And there's a purpose behind everything that happens. So it's not like an accident. It's not like when, when I was born and my mom said, Oops, we weren't planning you, right? And God, God doesn't say, Ooh, I didn't know that was going to happen to you, right? That's not how God works. See, God in the sovereign will and knowing what He wants to do in your life develop us so we can be more useful and have endurance says there's going to be some divine intrusions. You may not like them. Some are going to hurt and they're going to hurt bad. I'm going to break you. But I have a purpose behind them. I have a purpose behind them. So, notice then the text. Verse 3. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. Consider is an imperative. We are to count it all joy. We are to respond joyfully to the trials that God is allowing us to experience. It's a matter of the will. It's a matter of the will. The believer must keep in mind that all trials allowed by God are ultimately beneficial. Alright? So the Bible says, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say, Rejoice. So I haven't always been able to say that verse. When it was really bad, when the trial was terrible, when I was on the ground, right, and I couldn't even lift up my head, you know, crying out to God, I couldn't rejoice. Couldn't rejoice. Listen to what Warren Risby says. Our values determine our evaluations. If we value comfort more than character, then our trials will upset us. If we value the material and physical more than the spiritual, we will not be able to count it our joy. If we live only for the present and forget the future, the trials will make us bitter and not better. I'm going to read that again because I'm blessed just by reading it. Warren Risby got it right. When our values determine our evaluations, if we value comfort more than character, I don't know about you, but that was true of me. I like it easy, Lord. The United States kind of spoils you. I like comfort. I want easy, better air conditioning, more modern. My car's too old. I need more buttons. You know, 
come on, this is, I, I don't want to suffer. Right? So if we value comfort more than character, then the trials will upset us. If we value material and physical more than the spiritual, we will not be able to count it our joy. If we live only for the present and forget the future, the trials will make us bitter and not better. We were praying for this family. Five-year-old daughter was sick. And so the whole church is praying with this couple that the Lord would uh, help her to be healed. Uh, well, the, the, a, a day and a half later, the little girl died. The parents said, if this is the God that we serve and that we pray to, then forget him. And they walked away and we never saw him again. See, the trial revealed that there was no faith. The trial revealed that they only wanted God because they wanted his blessings and his gifts, but they didn't want anything else. And they walked away cursing God. I wonder where you're at right now. So, it says, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. Encounter means falling into something unexpected. Uh, trials are, are trying, testing, assaying, proving. Various means they come from all shapes, shades, and degrees, all colors, and all types. Knowing. Right, now notice, verse 3, knowing that the testing of your faith produces what? Produces what? Endurance. That's one of the great purpose of the trials that God's going to allow in your life or has allowed or will bring into your life. That is, He wants to produce endurance. Endurance. So, someone said, and I think they're right, you're either in a trial, or coming out of a trial, or about to enter into a trial. Got to give you a little breather, right? Catch your breath, get some oxygen. Here comes the next, right? And God has to keep working us over. Or is it just me? Right? It's like, man, Lord, you really laid into me this time. Wow. And he keeps squeezing and squeezing. And then finally, some relief. And then you get about a week break, and then here comes the next one. It's like, wow. Pretty normal, in case you thought it was abnormal. So we must know as believers that God works through testing and that he demands faith. He demands it. Therefore, he will bring whatever is necessary to get us to learn to endure. This is one of the main goals of testing. It produces firm, strong, enduring faith. The endurance is a permanent inner quality of strength which increases each time the trial is endured. What is it again? A permanent inner quality of strength which increases each time the trial is endured. And so notice then that verse 3, knowing that the testing which is going to come in all shapes and forms produces endurance. Endurance. And let endurance, verse 4, have its perfect results. Perfect means that which is fully developed, a spiritually mature believer, which is becoming more like Christ every day, uh, which increases every time uh, as the trial is endured, right? And it keeps going. My children with whom I am again in labor until Christ is formed in you. So, complete notice. Let endurance have its perfect result. So there's a purpose, there's a result uh, that God wants to develop endurance in the believer and the result is that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing, being whole and being entire. Lacking in nothing means a person is spiritually mature, complete, constantly abiding in Christ as a result 
of the trial. All right, so, kind of know, nice to know that whatever is happening in your life, it's not an accident, it's not chance, it's not bad luck, it's God who loves you, who saved you, who wants to grow you, who's going to bring trials that are necessary, and when you know that God is doing it then, and He's got a purpose behind it, it kind of takes away the, the bitterness, the disappointment. And you say, God, uh, help me to endure and to learn through this rather than be arguing with you about it. Now notice then the next verse. So, if you want to switch, transition, trials produce a strong prayer life. Trials produce a strong prayer life. Notice verse 5. But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives to all men generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. I know that when I'm afraid because of a sickness, an insult, lack of finances, a pressure to produce, the loss of a baby, you cry out to God, and you say, oh God, please help me. I don't know what to do. We should pray and seek God for insight, for direction. God, give me wisdom. How do I respond to this? And so we ask God to show us, what do I tell the bank when they're pressuring me for a payment and I lost my job? How do I respond to this bad news, to the rejection? How do I respond to the drunk husband? How do I respond to the news that just said that I have cancer? Now, this is an imperative again that we should ask God for wisdom. Imperative means it's, it's like a command. You're in a trial? You don't know what to do? Are you broken? Is a sickness pressing? Uh, did he leave? Is he beating you? Was she unfaithful? What happened? Bow before the Lord and say, God, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. I, I'm asking for wisdom. This is not an option. God says, now I'm squeezing you to get you to come to me because I want to increase your prayer life. I don't know about you, but I'm a terrible prayer person. And every time he squeezes me, all of a sudden I pray. When the trial is heavy and hard, I pray. As soon as it gets smooth, I stop praying as hard and as much. So, it says that when you come, but if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives to all men generously and without reproach. So in other words, God is ready to pour out His grace and give us help in time of need. So are you growing in your faith through the trials that God has brought upon you? Uh, then you, are, you have learned that God is gracious and loving and kind. Right? Without reproach. Without reproach. The Lord will never give even the slightest reproach, when we come to Him seeking wisdom and direction in the midst of trouble. You approach the throne and you will find a sympathetic Savior. God, here I am. I was so full of pride and this trial has broken me. I don't know what to do. I don't know where my next paycheck is coming from. I don't know how I'm going to survive this sickness. But I'm asking for wisdom. I need you to guide me. And God said, that kind of prayer 
I'm never going to turn down. That kind of prayer, I'm always going to answer. I love it because you're learning to trust me. You're learning to be broken. You're learning to come to me. You're learning to ask for wisdom. And I'm never going to reproach that kind of a prayer. And then he says, but when you do that, let him ask in faith without doubting. Trials, especially extended ones, can make us cynical. Amen. (laughs) The person is trusting self or books or some kind of wisdom, but doesn't approach God. They say stuff like this. Oh, what's the use? He never changes my circumstances. Uh, my faith, then that kind of faith is not maturing. It's not enduring. It's not persevering patiently. We might be disputing with God. God, this is not fair. Have you been there and done that? I don't think there's a Christian life that hasn't said that to God at one point in their life, right? It's not fair, God, and you're pouting. And God's like, oh, well, here's another one, you know. All right, go ahead. I know, I know. Keep going. Keep going. Because I, I didn't do anything. Yeah, I know, I know. I know. I'm not fair, right? I've heard this billions of times. Keep going. And I'm going to keep squeezing. Keep going. Because you don't know. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know. And a year down the line, you're still fighting me? Uh, until finally, whatever you say, God. Whatever you say. My faith is growing. It's getting stronger. I'm not arguing with you anymore. You broke me. i got to learn to stop trusting myself. And here I am, Lord. I'm asking for wisdom. What do I do? What do I do? I have no clue. And so, God said, I love that. I love that. I'm never going to turn down a person like that who comes to me and asks in faith without doubting because... They know that the person who comes in faith without doubting is going to respond, as James said this morning in Daniel 3, whether God saves me or not, whether He changes circumstance or not, doesn't matter. I'm going to trust Him and I'm going to worship Him and I'm going to praise Him. Whether the husband comes back or not, doesn't make a difference. I'm going to keep worshiping Him and serving Him. Whether she changes or not, doesn't matter. Whether uh, I give my business back or not and stay scraping the rest of my life and barely making it it doesn't make a difference because there's a God who's real who saved me and I'm going to trust Him. And in the the words of Job, even if God takes my children, if He takes my business, whatever He does, blessed be the name of the Lord. I'm being careful to say that because I'm not there yet. I'm not there yet. And I'm being honest with you. If you were to take me to that level, I, I was like, oh boy, Lord. You're going to really have to work with me now. This is really tough. This is really tough. And so God then, in His divine wisdom and purpose, is, is, knows what He's doing because He wants to, to produce that endurance. He wants to produce that, that faith. He wants to squeeze it out of us and, and teach us to trust Him. He wants to make us uh, come to Him in prayer and, and admit that we don't know what to do. And that we need Him desperately. And that we're going to trust Him regardless of how He answers. So then He says, verse 6, Let Him ask Him faith without doubting. For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. And so, here I come, God. But if I don't like your answer, I'm going to go to my own thing. 
Many people do that. This is a terrible trial. So here's, let me give you an example. We were doing an outreach and some people got saved. And we were in a home. And the lady who was saved had five children. And they all came to know the Lord. And she was hearing the Bible teaching. And so uh, she says, uh, I've been living with a man. And without his paycheck, I can't feed my five children. And I don't know what to do. And I'm going to say, I'm going to, you're going to do this, right? First of all, we're going to trust God. Secondly, that man is not the one that provides for you. God provides for you. We're going to preach the gospel to him. If you won't repent, throw him out. Well, throw him out immediately until he repents and gets married you. Then you'll let him back in. You know, she obeyed. She listened. Most of them, no, no, no. And I can't live without him. Okay, so we preached the gospel. He rejected. He was kicked out immediately anyway, right? Because she was living in sin. Trusted God. God faithfully provided for that woman and for her five children. Each one of them came to know the Lord. and She grew in Him. See, she grew through her trial and through her faith and wouldn't go, wouldn't, wasn't doubting God. When she came in prayer, she came in faith. God, I don't know what to do. How am I going to live? How am I going to feed my children? But I'm going to obey you in faith as I come asking for wisdom and I'm going to do what the leaders are asking me to do and what your Bible says to do and what you did and God was faithful. But I got a business and my business partner are saved. But if I break away because he's not a Christian and we have different ways of looking at life, how am I going to make it? So you come to God and say, give me wisdom. But with that wisdom has to come faith. And with that faith, you make the right choice. And that choice is, I'm going to trust God and do the right thing. And so, that's why he says, For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. He goes more by emotions, more by what he thinks is right, not by the wisdom of God. Because that kind of person doesn't really trust me. And they're going to be thrown around all their life because they don't trust me fully. And they're not responding correctly to the trials that I'm bringing to break them of that. Alright, so, let, verse 7, for let that man not expect that he will receive anything from the Lord. Why? Because he's double-minded. He's double-minded. Verse 8, being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Well, now, you got to remember, stay within the context. He's talking about the trial. And he's not learning. He's not enduring in faith. The, the, the trial... Is not producing faith, but he's still leaning on his own. And so he's unstable. He wants to trust God, but then it doesn't make sense. And yes, I want to have faith, but you know, I don't want to lose my business, or I don't want her to walk away, or whatever your, look, you know, your circumstances. Unstable in their walk with Christ. Double-minded. I want God, but really I just want His blessings. But, but I want to do my own thing. And that's what the test reveals. What you're truly made of. And so, then he kind of continues the thought, but in a very interesting way. But let the brother of humble circumstances glory in his high position. So we got a person who's poor, doesn't have much, but 
He prayed to God. God keeps him there. And he's humble. But you know what? I'm glorifying God because I'm a child of God. Because I'm seated in the heavenlies. Because I have the Holy Spirit in my life. Because I'm born again. Because I'm His. And He's got His hand on my, uh, on my life. Even though I don't have much, I'm poor. But then He says, But let the rich man glory in his humiliation. Because like a flower in God, he will pass away. So the rich man then realizes through the trials and what's been taught from the Scriptures that the only reason I have anything is because God gave it to me. And so this is not what controls me. God controls me. And I'm serving Him. I'll give you an example. When I was at Emmaus, we had a man come from Texas uh, who was very wealthy. He was an oil man. And he took us out to dinner. Those of us who were from Texas, he took us to this fancy place and we ordered the food. And then this is what he said. He says, uh, I'm so glad that I could provide this nice dinner for you. And God made me rich for one purpose, he said. So that I can support his work. I'm giving money to Emmaus so that you can not have to pay so much so you can study the word of God. When you're done studying, go out and serve the Lord and make a difference for his kingdom. But that's why God made me rich. I was like, wow. Wow. And so the money wasn't for his pleasure and wasn't for just how much more can I get, but it was for the kingdom of God. And so that's what it's saying. Verse 10, this guy realizes that, the rich people here in this case, and let the rich man glory in his humiliation. What am I, Lord? Just your servant. Because like the flower and grass, he will pass away. The, the rich man realizes, I'm human. I can die in a minute. And what is this going to come for eternity unless I use it for God? And the poor man isn't bitter because he's not rich. But he accepts wherever God has him. For the sun rises with a scorching wind and withers uh, like grass. And the flower falls off. The beauty of its appearance is destroyed. So to the rich man in the midst of pursuits will fade away. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial. For once he has been approved, because he's learning to endure, he's grown in his faith, he's, he's praying harder, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised, notice, to those who love him. Ultimately, the person who passes the test proves that he loves God. You get that? Don't miss that at the very end of verse 12. Most people do. Most people do. Ultimately, the ones who pass the test, who are approved, prove through that that they love God. And so, your victory through trials shows that you love Him. Alright? You said to end at 11.15? Alright, I'm going to go ahead and, because if I continue, it goes on kind of, kind of long. So, let, let, me, let me just say a couple of things and I'm going to give you some concluding statements. In this context, in this text, it's very interesting because trial in the original Greek could be trial or a test, right? And so the trial is an external, um, external trial like uh, being beat for your faith or, or something that comes that, you should, that should help you to grow in your faith in the Lord, right? 
But that trial can turn into a testing for sin if you're not careful. All right? For example, the Lord wants to teach you uh, to, to, to be dependent on Him. Right? And so you learn to depend on Him. Then He blesses you financially with more. And if you're not careful, Satan will use that blessing of God and say, Oh, you have money. They see, you're important. And now you can, right? And next thing you know, you're being tempted in the wrong direction. So God uses the trial to grow your faith. Satan can sometimes use that same trial to make you stumble. So it's kind of interesting how that word can go either way. But the whole point of the text is how we respond to it, right? Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial. For once he has been approved, that is, he passed. He grew, he grew in his faith. He's strong. He's enduring. He's praying. He's trusting God. So then God's going to bring another one to get you to another level, right? Amen? So you got through that one. Here comes the next one. All right. So in conclusion, let me give you a couple of points. You should understand that you will go through trials and be tested. The Christian who doesn't understand that is going to be miserable. All right? Secondly, you should be joyful because God is growing you for more usefulness. Thirdly, you should be developing a stronger prayer life. Fourthly, you should be developing a humble spirit. And all of this shows your love for God. All of this shows your love for God. Right? Amen? Wow. God has a purpose in whatever He's allowing in your life. So if you, if you have been a little upset with God and a little bitter, maybe you can just confess it. God, I've been responding so wrong to this trial. I've been bitter and disappointed and just frustrated with you and mad. You have no idea how many people I've sat down with and they're, mad, they're frustrated because of their problems. And I said, are you mad at God? And they just start to cry. Yeah, I am. Because I feel like God let me down. Totally misunderstanding the point of the trial. Right? So, God wants us to respond correctly. So, consider it all joy, my brethren. Can you do that? Can you do that? That's the goal. Right? You got to get to the point where whatever God allows in your life, you consider it all joy because you know God is doing a work in your life. Right? Amen? May His name be glorified. Father, thank you for your word. Uh, bless it to our hearts. Help us to, uh, in fact, grow and mature and let the trial which produces endurance uh, produce that perfection. Strengthen our faith. Improve our prayer. Lord, we, instead of grumbling and fighting you and resisting you, we accept what you allow in our life and we glorify you and we praise you. And yes, Father, we count it all joy. I don't know what my brothers and sisters here are going through, but I pray that you will strengthen their faith and they can get to the point where they say, blessed be the name of the Lord. Help them, Lord, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Amen.